Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? Welcome to another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty Podcast. I'm one of your hosts here, Charlie Chuck Thompson. Follow me on Twitter, at McCoy3PM, if you want to know everything I need to know. I don't think that made any sense. If everything you... Oh, Nate! Nate, Hey, what's up, man? My co-host, my friend, my business partner... The one, the only, Nate Nathaniel Paul Thurston. How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing good, except for all these technical difficulties we've been dealing with today. It's been a hell of a day now. I don't know what's wrong with the internet. You'd think it would clearly be able to handle three computers and a bunch of website editors and streaming live three through cameras. YouTube and Patreon while also running a stock uh, charting platform and a stock brokerage ordering platform and a live stock scanner called Trade Ideas. You're in it. Listen, we got a guarantee. We got to get a guarantee from the government that we'll have enough internet to be able to do this <laughs> because what, this is ridiculous. That's what it is. That's this, what, we're basically like when this doesn't work, I feel like I'm in poverty at that time. <laughs> if I can't get this, all these things to work, I personally am in poverty. This must be why the club goes up on a Tuesday because your day goes down. Your day I, is down. And then the people go to the club. The people go to the yeah. club for it to be up. That is the, That's how you bring your Tuesday back. <laughs> you know, we have finally solved that rubric right there of why the club does, in fact, go up on a Tuesday. Guys, if you have not subscribed to the Good Morning Liberty podcast, we put out a new episode every single day of the week when we want to about life, liberty, and our constant pursuit of meaning, not happiness, because happiness is just a fleeting feeling that you feel every once in a while. So don't make that your goal. Make meaning your goal, and you can work towards what the meaning of your life is. And even if you don't have every single thing you ever wanted, if you're not feeling happy, at least if your goal is achieving meaning every single day, you can get out of bed. That's what I do every single day. Completely unhappy with the world. <laughs> but God darn it, I got some meaning. You know, I got some guard darn meaning in my life. If I were to put happiness and in, in say that I needed happiness, and inside of my happiness would be, well, a government that was so small you could barely see it, and a Pentagon budget that stayed under $34 trillion, and then a, uh, you know, just all these things, of having my actual liberties, um, you know, the government not reaching into your life at all times, not having to ever listen to Bernie Sanders or uh, Joe Biden or any of these people talk ever again, Trump needs his Twitter removed. If I made all those or filtered things, at least filtered. Yeah. If I had all those things, my goal of happiness, then I would just feel complete unhappiness every single day. Well, let's so, talk about that for a bit. Cause I think this is important before we dive into the news. Cause we got a lot of things to talk about today. Coronavirus, Nate, you mentioned the Pentagon budget and their accounting woes. We're going to get into that. We got some good videos to play for you guys. But before all that, I think this idea of happiness and pursuing meaning is a, is important to talk about here at the beginning of the show, because a lot of you are new listeners and you're coming in wondering, like, what the hell is Good Morning Liberty all about? Well, it's a fantastic Liberty podcast, number one. And we talk about these relevant things and you could say pop culture and politics and economics, but also inside of all of that is what what are the solutions for you? What can you do on a daily basis? And then also what's your motivation and the driver for all of that, right? So when we talk about meaning over happiness, it's because think about the times that you've been happy in, happy in your life. Maybe it's your wedding day. You know, maybe it's uh, your some of your family got married or maybe you graduated from college or maybe you landed a big business deal or something like that. 
our happiness days are few and far between, whereas the the majority of life is hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Like it's a struggle every single day. You wake up and the stock market's crashing and your 401k just lost 20% overnight. And now you're never going to be able to retire, which what does that even mean anyway? And your your boss is a, is a prick and you you can't even call in sick to work and coronavirus is going to kill you and your dad just died of cancer like life is hard yeah it's really hard all those things suck yes and you sometimes you wonder like how do i even get out of bed in the morning well that's why we talk about life liberty and the pursuit of meaning not happiness you should enjoy happiness when it comes your way like on your marriage on your wedding day if, if you well, wanted to get married then that would be a day of happiness and you would feel all those butterfly feelings. I was going to say on that the first even if, date, even you know? if that made you happy, you got to look at why did you feel happy right there? Well, probably because you felt fulfilled as a person, you felt worthwhile. You felt like someone else thought that you were worth something, maybe even worth spending the rest of their life with. Maybe you had this lifelong dream of your wedding day and you felt wanted. Or you had, you had all these things you felt wanted. You felt fulfilled. You had meaning in your life and that's why you felt the happiness in the first place in when that, you got that promotion you got those in that things moment in that moment and you felt happiness and that's why we don't just blindly pursue the feeling of happiness because good lord you can get that from all kinds of different alcohol from all kinds of different Cocaine, drugs it's a hell you of can, a drug you can feel happiness when it comes to those things and you cannot actually be achieving the things that people achieve that give them the chance to feel happiness all the time and then you're just blind blindly going through life, not paying attention to what you're actually doing. You're just feeling happiness because I don't know, you're drunk, you're high, you're blind, whatever it is, not literally blind, but uh, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's plenty of happiness to be had there. And it's, listen, you got to actually be achieving what the meaning, what the purpose is. Why are you here? That's the question. Why are you here? And are you working towards what that is right there? You and, think you think guys like Bill Gates don't have a meaningful life? I mean, the guy yeah. pursued billions of dollars by being a heads down software developer, essentially, who had the the wherewithal and the smarts to be the CEO and start a company. And now he's worth over a hundred billion dollars and he's changing the world. But he yeah. probably wasn't even pursuing money at, at that time. I, I don't even see people like Bill Gates, Steve Jobs. He was just pursuing winning. I, I see them pursuing their their meaning they're really good at the programming they're really good at business they're really good at doing those kinds of things making people's lives easier the money comes along with it when you're when you're doing that when you're going and achieving towards your full potential the money is going to come along with that but the money's not even the important part you can be achieving your meaning and not be rich you don't have to be rich that's that's not what everyone's goal needs to be now I think that is a very worthwhile goal as long as you achieve that those riches just justly. If you achieve those, then you have to look at what does that money mean? Well, that money meant that you provided value to society so much so that you have a surplus of dollars because you provided so much value to other people that now look at the representation of that value that's in your net worth or that's in your bank account. So that's like when I'm pursuing money, it's not because I just love money or I want to lay on a stack of cash or I want to be in a yacht. I want to have those things, but I want to have them for the reason that money exists, which is that you provided value for someone else. If I have a billion dollars in my bank account, 
it's because I provided a billion and one dollars worth of value to other people's lives. And that could make you feel happy in that sense right there. And all that is is a representation of your time towards your pursuit of meaning and your goals. And that's what people pay you for. That's also the problem with, you know, your time and your ideas, welfare, forced wages, uh, handouts, all of these things. That's not money that was given to you freely by other people because you provide a value to other people's lives. So I do believe that the people who receive any type of handouts, any type of forced wage uh, on their, you know, they don't feel fulfilled in that because they didn't, they didn't actually earn it in the sense that other people freely gave them that money. Other people were forced to give them that money and that can't make you feel good. Like it, you're that not going to, they have to fill out all the paperwork and you're, you're not going to feel good as a, as a thief, which uh, that's not what I'm saying. They are, but a, a thief is not going to be fulfilled. Someone whose family is only helping them out. They're living off of a stipend from their family because they're always broke. They're not going to feel fulfilled. That's what Kobe wrote you in know? his letter back to himself. It is exactly what he wrote. He said, you, you feel like you're helping people, but you're not, they're not going to feel fulfilled in their lives. You're just you, holding them back. You've got to allow people to actually go to war towards that purpose, towards that goal, and earn it themselves. That's how you get to a country, a community full of people who are all uh, pursuing that meaning, who are all fulfilled in their lives, and then can actually feel some happiness a lot easier. And actually, you're doing those people a disservice because you are robbing from them their talents. Yeah. You're robbing from society those people's talents and what they actually could become. You're taking their potential away from them and saying, it's okay that you stay down here. No big deal. We don't need your potential, right? We don't need your potential. Society will just pay for you. No big deal. Healthcare is a right. Education's a right. All this, you can study whatever you want and just live off the government or whatever. And see, this is what boils it all back down. We're going to wrap this up here. This boils it all back down to the libertarian philosophy. Now, why is philosophy important? You might ask that question and be like, oh, well, who cares about philosophy? Well, you try to navigate your life without any sense of purpose or meaning, which is what philosophy articulates. Philosophy articulates the it's the definition of the meaning in your life. It's the why of everything. It's the why. Exactly. And so why do we believe in and pursue a libertarian style philosophy or a liberty minded philosophy? Well, it's because it's actually the only philosophy. It's the only idea that actually helps the most amount of people achieve the most amount of things. Yeah, it is the only thing that out there that actually caters to people's true potential, their true meaning and purpose in life and can allow them to achieve things on their own which not only benefits them, it benefits their family and benefits the community overall. Now, will there be people stuck at the bottom? Yes, because there is no utopia. I'm sorry, even libertarians that listen to us. There's no utopia. It doesn't exist. There will always be people at the bottom. Some kid is still going to get cancer when they're six months old, and that's not fair. Viruses are still going to spread. Coronaviruses are going to spread. Old people are going to die. Young people are going to die. There's going to be car wrecks, helicopter crashes, plane crashes. There's going to be people who end up homeless because they made bad decisions and things like that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't help our neighbor, which is why charity is a big part of the libertarian philosophy. However, when we practice the ideas of liberty and empowering people and encouraging them, encouraging them to believe that they are more than they're capable, they are more than they think that they are, then all it does is benefit society as a whole. And that's why we talk about all these things 
every single day. It's what yep. we truly believe in. This is it's the most compassionate, impassioned ideology you can get behind. So absolutely, I, I want you know our numbers are going up every single day. So I kind of wanted to. I, I felt like that was a really good riff. It wasn't part of the plan. Yeah, today, not too bad. But but I wanted people to understand why we're here. Yeah, why we're doing what we're doing. Why we have the opinions and the beliefs that we have yeah. why we look at the world we way the way that we look at it why we point out the statistics that we're always finding why we talk about these things it's not because we're selfish jerks who only care about ourselves whatsoever that is not the case it's actually the exact opposite and libertarians need to do a better job of explaining that that's one of our main things is that libertarians are known as selfish people who don't care about anyone but themselves that is how a libertarian is viewed and that is the exact opposite of what is true when it comes to that ideology because we actually want people to have affordable education yeah. We want people to have affordable health care. High we, quality education, not yes. even just affordable. High quality, affordable, everything. We want people to have affordable health care and high quality health care and efficient and, and innovative health care. You know, I was watching a thing the other night uh, uh, on Fox News last night, not Fox News, but the, the local Fox station. They did this investigative report of why pharmaceutical drugs were so expensive in America and they're so cheap in Canada. And people who live close to the border, they'll go over to Canada to get their prescription drugs. And the, investig the whole investigative report was saying that there aren't enough regulations on the pharmaceutical companies in the United States. But this guy turned around and then said, well, all of these other countries rely on the United States innovation because they have more money for research and development. Yeah. So all the new drugs get developed here in the United States because we have more money. So, so you have to have a balance here between do you want cheap, but do you also want innovative? Do you want new life-saving drugs? Do you want people working on those types of things? And, and not only that, so affordable healthcare, affordable housing, affordable property, all of these things we want for people, which is why we think government is the worst thing to do. And we're going to get into that today because we have this whole Pentagon thing to go over that is going to make you so angry. At least it did me. Yeah. Charlie's been I'm steaming. about to get hated. The other thing, <laughs> the other thing I want to say to, uh, you know, obviously we love all of our listeners for a long time, but our numbers are going up every single week. So this is for our new listeners. Um, why would you listen to a guy like me and Nate? Like, why would you listen to Charlie and Nate? Who cares about these guys? Well, we have traveled the world. We are business entrepreneurs and owners. We've started several ventures together. We are former touring musicians living in Nashville, Tennessee, that decided to um, get involved in actually creating our own, our own wealth, yeah. our own income by creating these businesses. And then we want, we wanted to spread the message of these ideas that we so strongly believe in so that more people can experience the type of freedom that we do. That's, yeah. that's, that's the main reason. And uh, maybe you don't want to listen to us, but you're here. You're here. <laughs> they do. So you should subscribe to the podcast. That was a good subscribe to the it podcast was. ad right that there. That was right there. That 10 was, minutes. That was good. Subscribe. Uh, and, and before we get going on the news too, for all of you longtime listeners, be a supporter of the show. That's patreon.com slash good morning Liberty, where you can get live pre-show and post-show. It's hilarious. Just ask some of the members in there. Once you sign up for Patreon, you can ask questions and be like, Hey, is these, are these guys actually really funny? And the truth <laughs> of the matter is we are, and there's a lot of, you guys need to understand our, our new show coming out. We haven't released a date on it yet, but it's called Who Done It. And if you want the behind the scenes of the Who Done It, 
you need to get access to that pre and post show, which you can get for as little as five dollars. That a would month. actually make even if you know it's not going to be a TV show, it would make a great podcast. It would too. like a true crime Who podcast. Who done it? Only we're going to call it Who Done It. It's going to Charlie Nate here in Nashville. <laughs> we went down to Huntsville, Alabama. I don't give him too much preview. I told him right. to sign up for the Patreon. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> if yeah. you want to hear all that, then you got to sign up at least five dollars a month. We got a couple of people in there paying thirty bucks a month. So appreciate all of you guys that are supporting the show because while this show is free for you, it's not free for us to produce so you guys all of the money that we get by the way for patreon goes right back into the show yep it helps grow the show uh, we helps us buy ads for the show and it helps all kinds of things so we can't appreciate that enough so. okay guys important public service announcement everyone needs to know yes psa and now listen i know this might sound crazy and you're like well it sounds i don't know it sounds like it would work it sounds like it would work psa from cbs news Coronavirus cannot be cured by drinking bleach or snorting cocaine, despite the rumors on social media. Okay, yes. just so we can let everyone know. All right, this is you heard it here first. Second, actually, because you might have been listening to CBS, CBS News. News. Who knows? Okay, in the wake of Russia's meddling in the 2016 election, oh, oh of course, yeah, Facebook and Twitter have been forced to respond to the proliferation of fake news on their platforms. And while many probably assume the bulk of that inf- misinformation is political in focus, trolls and bots on social media have actually been linked to the marketing of vaping products, the anti-vaccination movement, and now fake cures for the coronavirus. Prominent QAnon YouTuber. We really do not follow this Q movement whatsoever. Have you seen that whole thing? It's been a thing oh. since Trump got elected. We'll look. What's we'll, the Q? We'll look it up and not talk about it. Sometimes go look it up and then completely don't think about it anymore after that. Prominent QAnon YouTuber Jordan Sather, for example, tweeted to his more than one hundred and twenty-one thousand followers that a miracle mineral solution which effectively involves drinking bleach can wipe out (laughs) COVID-19, the disease caused by coronavirus. Here's his tweet. He said, would you look at that? Not only is chlorine dioxide, a.k.a. MMS, a effective cancer cell killer, it can what so bleach also is the uh, remedy for cancer. Apparently, yeah. yeah. Uh, It can wipe out coronavirus, too. No wonder YouTube has been censoring basically every single video where I discuss over the last year. <laughs> Big Pharma wants you to be ignorant. <laughs> so, also, he said, P.S. P.S. The Earth is flat. Yeah. Also, <laughs> here's my link to why the Earth is flat right here. Sadly, drinking bleach isn't the only dangerous cure that bad actors are peddling online to a population increasingly stupid, sorry, anxious about the current outbreak. The most recent rumor spreading at a rapid pace is that cocaine will counteract COVID-19. On Facebook, where a third-party fact-checking program is in place, we got to make sure we're talking about that, many of these posts now have false information warnings that ser- that serve both to warn uners, u- uners. What's a uner? Can we look that up? Serve both to warn users of the content's unreliability and to deprioritize them in the platform's algorithm. They do that to some of our posts about economics, too. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg also addresses the issue in a March 3rd post saying the company is working with national ministries of health and organizations to help them get out timely, accurate information on the coronavirus. On Twitter, however, some of the most prominent posts spreading dangerous misinformation have gone unchecked, even from verified accounts. We'll look at some 
funny verified <laughs> post here in a minute from the MSDNC. Bizzle Osakoya, for example, a Nigerian prince, no, a Nigerian music and entertainment developer with more than 190,000 followers tweeted a doctored image, which purports to be a screenshot of breaking news on TV. It's gotten nearly 6,000 likes and almost 3,000 retweets. It has remained on the platform for more than a month without any sort of warning of the content's falsehood. So the post is a doctored news uh, post that is saying that cocaine will wipe out the coronavirus. All you got to do is pour you down a couple lines and then take care of your coronavirus problems right there. (laughs) They're all solved. Yeah. Now, we solved the problem on Charlie's house here by putting a a coronavirus-free sign on the door. So... We're fine. We're totally fine. There's not going to be any coronavirus in here whatsoever. So, listen, there's misinformation out there. Um, Standard logic and reasoning would tell you that drinking bleach would not be a great remedy for fighting off anything. Uh, I would tell you, unless you're trying to fight out germs and bacteria that are potentially outside your body and in your house. Like, if you want to use some bleach on that. Then, then it'll probably work. But as far as germs and bacteria and viruses go inside your body, uh, bleach is not a common cure for that. That is no. not a household cure. No. We'll just go ahead and do that PSA right now. And cocaine, while it might make you feel like you don't have the coronavirus anymore, is probably <laughs> not a great remedy either, considering the fact that most of these drugs are terrible for your immune system overall. It just kind of... I'm sure if you shot up a little bit of heroin, you wouldn't feel yeah, the coronavirus just, either. Yeah, <laughs> fine. Well, I'd feel great. I feel fine. I feel wonderful. What I'm are you talking about? taking that one. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this. Problem solved. You know what this reminds me of? What? You remember those like car memes and stuff like winter's approaching. Make sure you do this. Like um, the memes are going around like icy windshield question mark. Yeah. Simply install sandpaper under your wiper blade (laughs) and turn wipers on full speed until you can see clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Until there's no longer a windshield in front of you. (laughs) Or be sure to loosen your lug nuts for winter so they don't freeze to the wheel in case of a flat tire. All right. Okay. So there's that PSA. We're going to move through some news real quick. Here's another one. Hang on. Put a two-inch screw in each thread and each tread. Instant snow traction. <laughs> there you go. That'll work. And I just drove around with a nail in my tire for about two years. Yeah, actually. And also, uh, remember, it great. it's cold this time of year, so ensure you keep so to ensure you keep your engine running. Drain your oil. Drain your oil so it doesn't freeze. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Have you checked your blinker fluid lately? Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let's check out uh, some other news. Uh, we'll just run through this real quick. We can do an entire episode on this next one, but we have to get to this Pentagon budget thing, and that's going to take up the bulk of the episode. So we can kind of run through some of this. Basic gist of the matter, this is from fee.org. Great, great website for all kinds of great information. Target, which cut workers' hours and doubled their workloads, shows the folly that is the failure in wage fixation. Okay. So this is what happened. They've upped their minimum wage to 15, no, the $13 an hour, not even 15. And basically people are making less money. They're working way less hours and they've actually been asked to do way more work. Isn't that crazy? Target's wage floor increase likely please those preaching wage justice, but the wage hikes came at a cost for other employees. 
Bonnie Furlong started working at Target in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania more than seven years ago. Today, however, she's making the same as new hires and less than she was before the Minneapolis-based retailer raised its wage floor to $13 an hour in June of last year. How about that? Ah. How about that? The last time they raised it, this is a quote from Bonnie, the last time they raised it, they cut our hours, so I'm basically making less than I was before they raised it to $13 an hour, she reported to The Guardian. Target's wage floor increase likely pleased those preaching wage justice, but it was not exactly helpful to experienced employees who saw their hours slashed to cover wage increases for inexperienced and less qualified workers. This is just crazy. If only someone would have said some type of warning about this beforehand. Uh, then we could have avoided this whole mess. Bonnie, who typically worked 32 to 38 hours per week, saw her time card slashed to 20 hours per week after the wage increase. Mm. If I wasn't getting Social Security, which isn't very much either, I wouldn't be able to work there because I couldn't afford it, she said. Bonnie's case was not unique. A simple Google search will turn up dozens of examples of Target employees in similar straits. Uh, this person says, I got a dollar raise, but I'm getting $200 less in my paycheck. An employee named Heather told CNN, explaining that her hours had been cut from 40 per week to around 20. Heather was one of nearly two dozen Target employees who told CNN they saw their hours slashed following the company's wage increase. You know, what's crazy is the other night we went to Target... And uh, I went through the pickup lane because there were few things that we could order through the pickup. And then Stephanie went inside. My girlfriend, Stephanie, lovely lady. She went inside because she had to go get a card. And there were probably, she said there were like 30 people trying to check out. No cashiers. All self-checkout. Yeah. yeah. So congratulations on your wage hike. Hey, but at least the people there are making $13 <laughs> an hour, At least right? they're making a, a living wage. And this is the problem. We don't even have to go through the entire rest of this article, but this is obviously the problem. You cannot just arbitrarily dictate what workers are worth. Businesses have an amount that they can pay out for labor, and regardless of whether or not you raise up the minimum for the people there, they can't pay out more than that amount per labor. And we have this false idea just based on the inability to do simple math that tells us that these that these places can clearly afford $15 an hour. You know how much money Walmart would be making if they raised their pay for for all of their employees and kept their hours the same to $15 an hour? You know how much they'd be making? Negative. Negative $12 billion a year. That's what they would be making. Negative $12 billion per year. But They're, the Waltons are worth like $150 billion, so um, they can afford it. I Nate. bet you they only worth about $100 billion after the last <laughs> week or so. So yeah. I haven't seen many news stories about that. Uh, so that's the entire, that's the problem, guys. People are going to make what they're worth. If you're worth more, then go into your boss's office and say, I'm leaving. If you don't raise my pay to this amount, if you are worth that amount, that's what they'll pay you. If you're not, they're going to tell you to leave. That is the plain and simple case. Open door, shut door, case closed. That's the whole thing right there. I'm sorry if it hurts your feelings, but that is the case. You need to be like Charlie, who started when he was 16 years old working at McDonald's for $5.50 an hour. $5.15. $5.15 an hour. And then within six months, got his pay raised to $12.50 an hour because he was such a good employee and they did not want to lose him. He More literally than- said, I'm going I'm going to quit. This is terrible. Unless you give me a manager position, I got to be running this place because the rest of these yahoos are completely nuts and I got to be running the place. And you know what? He was good enough to do that. So they gave him a raise from $5.15 an hour to $12.50 an hour back in aught five. Okay. So that that's that's a pretty good example of just making yourself. God, that was so long ago, wasn't it's it? It's a long time ago. Yeah. Jesus.
Long time ago. Like you've, been, you've been stuck at that 12, 15 hour ever since then. Yeah, I'm sure. yeah. I've never yeah. gone up above that. Never went above that. That's too bad. Um, I do like the end here. Economist John Phelan last year noted that employers respond to arbitrary wage increases in four ways. One, they cut employee hours. We've seen that. Two, they ask more of workers. They see that. Three, they reduce other forms of remuneration. They see that. And four, they replace human workers with mach- with machines. Reports show that Target took each of these steps following its wage hike announcement. The Wall Street Journal reports the retail giant is adding thousands of self-checkout machines to reduce labor costs. <laughs> now, exactly. who would have ever predicted who this? Who would have ever? If only we would have talked about this beforehand. If only we would Man. have ever known. It's just like Amazon. No they, one saw this coming. You know, Bernie argued and argued and, and lambasted Amazon. And Amazon did the same thing. Like, sure, we'll raise it to $15 an hour. You'll lose your stock options. You'll lose all these other bonuses and all this other stuff. But sure. Yeah. We're going to cut your hours and you'll make $15 an hour and you're going to make less money. Yeah. And we're going to make you do more. And, and it's and it's like, how do you not see this coming? And it's this other problem inside of it that, that's not even whether or not they can afford it. You've got this person who's been there for, what did it say, seven years, something like that. Been there for quite some time. Bonnie, how long you been there? Tell me, Bonnie. 14, 14 years. She's been there. That. Oh, no, that's Marie Biggs has been there for 14 years. Whatever amount of time Bonnie's been there. You, you know the thing. So go ahead and go search out Bonnie on Facebook and ask her how long she's been working at Target. It but says more than seven years. Here's the problem. She's been working there for a long time. She was already <laughs> making... She was already making... A high, a high wage compared to the rest of the people that work there. And that's what she was getting. But then what happened? Now all the new people come in and they're magically making $13 an hour, something that it took her, took her almost a decade to get to. And so she's upset. You know she's upset about that. Because while the new people got their, their introductory wage raised from $8 an hour up to 13 so they got a $5 increase for the new people. She did not get a wage increase from 12 to 17. That's not what she got increased. She's sticking right there around 13 with everyone else who's been there for two seconds. And people are going to be upset about this. This is not how you fix the problem. There's a couple ways you fix the problem because there's always going to be minimum wage workers. There's always going to be people making the minimum amount. The way that you fix this is by helping prices get lower on all of their goods and services. And you do not help prices get lower by instituting trade barriers. You don't help them get lower by forcing them to pay people who aren't worth that much money a a higher amount. You don't make them get lower by charging taxes to the business, by charging all types of fees and all kinds of things to the business. You don't make prices go down by doing that. You don't make them go down by instituting regulations on healthcare. You don't make prices go down by doing any of these things, uh, making college more expensive, making housing more expensive, all the things that the government succeeds at, the only things they succeed at, which is making prices go up on everything and making things more inefficient. If they're efficient at one thing, it's being inefficient. And that's, that's really their main job. That's their, that's their main success in life. And so if you want to actually fix the problem, you have to say, well, what could make life easier for someone who's making minimum wage? Well, you could not do a billion different things to raise the prices of every single thing that they pay for on a daily basis. You could do that. You could possibly do that. Oh no, we don't. You just hate poor people. That's all it is. Yeah. You hate poor people. So much for this wage justice and that's the th- that people like, are fighting for. When are we going to talk about the outcome of this? We, we, ooh, yeah, we got the wage justice. We got them to raise their wage to 13. You know, the only problem is they didn't, wage, they didn't raise it to 15. That's the only problem right there. 
No, when are we ever going to talk about the outcomes of these policies? We're just talking about, yeah, we had a win. We forced them to pay more money. We won. No, you didn't. People are making less money now. They're making less money. Okay, that, that's important when you're talking about the success of your ideology. It's important to talk about whether or not it was uh, successful. It seems like that would yeah. be important. You know, no, they know. just brush it off to the side and yeah, like we're well, we're just not spending that. We just need more money now. We just need to fix greed. That's that's all it yeah. is. It's I mean, all we, driven by greed. We that's need the, the only thing government to run uh, different uh, retailers and then you know problem solved. That'll Speaking of greedy, uh, I believe many Mike Bloomberg <laughs> might be might have been the greediest person trying to run for president. Oh yeah, he spent five hundred. I don't know if you know this or not. But he spent five hundred, about five hundred million dollars, just on advertising for his failed presidential candidate run. Yeah. Okay. Now, according to MSDNC <laughs> um, and some New York Times board member editor, um, he could have given everyone in the United States, every single person, a million dollars for that. Listen to this math, and, folks. And I can't believe that he would rather just buy ads with it. It's just feeding the rich. Rich why feeding the rich. Why didn't, instead of spending $500 million, why didn't he just give a million dollars to everyone in the U.S.? I mean, that's what he could have done, right? Yeah. Here's the problem. Let's listen to it. Let's see what we got here. But you see it as a possibility if he wants to spend a billion bucks beating this guy, he could do it. Absolutely. Um, somebody tweeted recently that um, actually with the money he spent, he could have given every American a million dollars. got it. Let's put it up yeah. on the screen. It, when I read it uh, tonight on social media, it kind of all became clear. Bloomberg <laughs> spent $500 million on ads. U.S. population, $327 million. Uh, don't tell us if you're ahead of us on the math. He could have given each American $1 million and have had lunch money left over. It's an incredible. No, way. we're going to play that again. We're going to play don't, it again. Listen. Don't tell us if you're ahead. It on wasn't the just math. a flub where they accidentally did this. Like they dug into this idea. This was scheduled. They he dug had in. the tweet to the display. The tweet was on screen. He talked about how it became clear and oh if you're ahead of us on the math all this stuff like this wasn't just like some kind of oh, joe biden error where he said the wrong word or anything like that a bunch of times all, all the time this wasn't this wasn't that this is a clear example of what you're up against because you know how many people probably saw this and were like yeah exactly you do the math Math. Hashtag math. Yeah. I, I, saw, I saw a lot of people posting saying, think about all the good he could have done with that. Instead, he wasted it on ads. It's yeah. like, well, what good could he have done with it? He could have given everyone about a dollar twenty five. Yes. Something like I think that. It was a dollar twenty seven. Was it? OK. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got to hear it again. Listen to this hashtag math right here, because they're going to use it against you while they're up there on their moral high ground someday. And you got to be ready for it. I've got it. Let's put it up yeah. on the screen. It when I read it uh, tonight on social media, it kind of all became clear. Bloomberg spent five hundred million on ads. U.S. population three hundred twenty-seven million. Uh, don't tell us if you're ahead of us on the math. He could have given <laughs> each American one million dollars and have had lunch money left over. Had it's lunch an money left over. Way of putting it. It's an incredible way of putting it. It's true. It's disturbing. True. It does. It's true. It does suggest. You know what we're talking about here, which is there, there's too much money in politics, um, yeah. and it makes it difficult. <laughs> okay, now listen, there's too much money in politics. Our live stream is getting slow again. Good lord, the internet here Sorry, is it's so about, terrible. It's about a dollar fifty-three per person. A dollar fifty-three per person. Now, 
they were oh my god dude 500 million dollars could have given a million dollars to 500 people just in case anyone was not getting the point there 500 people could have received a million dollars they were so glaringly wrong on this and they didn't even see it they repeated their point they elaborated on their point it's still available right here on the good old internet from msdnc and a lot of people saw this and completely agree with it this tweet came from a verified twitter account blue check mark and I, I haven't looked to see, but I bet you it got a bunch of retweets, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, who was the guy again? I forgot. Where are the people preaching for uh, putting some type of a fake news banner underneath this? Like, where are they? Why am I not seeing all the fake news out there and how this has to be stopped because we're giving people misinformation? It's, it's not out there. It, yeah. It's just simply not out there. So, guys, this is what you're up against when you're talking to people like this. They're so blinded by their emotions on the fact. Hey, there are there is too much money in politics. You want to get rid of that? Take the power away from politicians. There you go. Money's out of politics. There is too much money in politics. She was right about that. But when you're uh, roughly a million dollars off per person on your calculation, You've got a real problem with the cloud of emotions that are around you where you can't even stop for a second to think rationally or to think to think logically whatsoever. That's what happens when you're clouded by emotions because you've decided what your emotions are on this topic and then you're completely blinded by the just straight up obvious truth that's right there in front of you people at target make less money even though they're getting paid a higher wage per hour uh this person was off by a million dollars per person on their calculation you don't see that because you're blinded by your emotions that that's the problem your emotions need to be that we need to give people the freedom to live their own lives and to make their own way and to fulfill their own lives and whatever that purpose is, that's where your emotions need to be. Your emotions need to be on the question of whether or not human beings own themselves or if other people own other human beings. Because if you own yourself, then you cannot be told by other people what you can or can't do if you are not doing something to harm anyone else. You can't be told what to do. If anything other than that, means that someone else owns you maybe not one person but if a majority of the people vote to own you then they can own you this has happened in history by the way and it's a very terrible portion of history and we still cannot get over the plain fact that we do not own other human beings i do not understand how this ideology works whatsoever and th this is a good example did you figure out who tweeted that well, I was looking at the um, the New York Times uh, editorial board person, Mara Gay, who if you go, <laughs> it's unbelievable, actually, if you go look at her Twitter feed, um, she it looks like they deleted the tweet um, and she did tweet out on March 6th so that she's buying a calculator. Be right back. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, everybody's talking about how embarrassing it would be um, and, and all this stuff. But you go and look at her Twitter feed. It's just blows my mind because several in things in here she shared this article that you know the rich are preparing for coronavirus differently and she tweeted makes you want to vote for a socialist um she's mad about elizabeth warren not getting the nomination and women in the misogyny and the sexist it's just so predictable 
as if so predictable. As if Tulsi Gabbard's not still running for president right right now. And she sits on the editorial board of the New York Times. And it's just so predictable how biased these people are. Yeah. And it, it just blows my mind that they can't think for themselves. I feel bad sometimes that yeah. they have no thought of their own. They can't even do basic math. And uh, you got you have to wonder, these people are profiting. I mean, she's got 70,000 followers. Well, people follow They're- this. They believe it. They get their information from these people. And the, yeah. like I said, this is what you're up against. This what's is why the, you have to listen to this show. What's the argument for people who can't even see how blatantly wrong that is? What what argument are you ever going to make to them for people who can't see how blatantly... And even if you, you show them how glaringly wrong it was, they'll still have the exact same belief. Nothing will change, even if you completely destroy the argument. So we've got to be the people who are making the case for why our ideology is the actual way that you help people. That's always been the my thing. If I were going to convert a bleeding heart socialist who just wanted to do the best for everyone, if I were going to convert that person, I've got to make the case for if you're someone who just wants to help people and you're completely emotional about wanting to help everyone, then I've got to make the case for why my ideas are the actual way that you help people. That's what we have to do. That's what we as liberty-minded individuals have to do on a daily basis. Our ideology is the only one that is truly going to help these people. Your ideology is actually hurting these people. You've got to get that message across. Why is yours better? Why is society going to get better? As if you can't look throughout history and see the the just plain blatant truth for why it's better for the most amount of people. If you can't look at that... But maybe you need some more. We got to do a better job making those arguments. So that that's what we're working on. Do you want to do the Bernie uh, minimum wage thing real quick? Yeah, let's do that real quick. And then you're just going to take yep. off on this <clears throat> Pentagon thing. Well, we're going to get into why. Why is why is the liberty minded, the libertarian ideology, the best out there? You know why? Why do we argue that it is the most compassionate ideology that will help the the most amount of people? And we can point to. The inefficiency of the government, which we're going to give you one piece of that. Yeah. And it's just going to make you sick. And I'm going to compare it to if you did this in your own life or your own business. But first, the Bernie video. Let's hear about some minimum wage workers real quick. I'm a mother and a fast food worker in Memphis, Tennessee. My first job was in fast food. I made $6.50 an hour. 18 years later, I am here at KFC and I make $7.65 an hour. That's less than a dollar more in a decade. We are living today in an American economy which is doing very well for the people on top, not so well for working families. Like normal, I naturally feel bad for this lady. She's yeah. she's very upset. She feels like she has no options. She feels like she's stuck right now. She's emotional. I naturally feel bad for her, and I would want I would want to help. And if I wanted to help, what would I do? That would be the real question. If I actually wanted to help her, because I do, I do want to help her. That's what I want to do. 
So what would actually help her? Well, you got to force the greedy people to give her money. Exactly. It worked out for Target. So (laughs) we got to do that. Works out for all the Target workers. Yeah, it's so you got to ask yourself, how do you go 18 years working fast food and only raise your pay by a dollar in that entire time? Less than a dollar in that entire time. Is there potentially, potentially something wrong with the work that you're doing for that company? Is there something wrong? Have you shown that you're worth that much? Have you moved around to better jobs? Have you done such hard work that they made you a manager, an assistant manager even, something like that, a shift manager? Have you done those things in 18 years? 18 years. 18 years working fast food that were going to help your pay go up, that which would make life better for your family, all the people around you. Your four kids. It's... So the question is, when I see that, and I feel bad for her, she's crying, she's obviously upset, I naturally want to help her. That's the question. What would I do to help her? What would I do? Would I just give her some money? Is that what I would do? You think that's going to solve the problems? Is that the answer? To just give her some money? No. Is that the answer for your family members who are not doing what they need to do to make themselves better, to make their lives better? They've gone 18 years in the same dead-end job and haven't raised their pay more than a dollar. And the answer for your family member is for you to just give them money so they never have to figure out what's actually wrong, ever. They never have to do something to raise their pay, ever. No, that's not what you would do if you cared about your family. That is not what you would do. Maybe you would help them out like right now because they need to pay a bill and you don't want their house to get taken or their car to get taken away. You don't, you want their kids to be able to eat, stuff like that. So you would help them out with that right now. But what would you do as someone who actually cares about that person to really help them, to now, really help them long-term? <clears throat> Look, I can speak to this because I started out in fast food and McDonald's and I worked there for a little over four years, by the way. As Nate mentioned earlier, I became a manager by the time I was 17 years old. I was still in high school. I became a manager at McDonald's and I more than doubled my pay uh, just being an assistant manager. And they have all kinds of programs McDonald's does. I know KFC does and all these other uh, fast food places. They have so many opportunities for growth where you can become a shift leader, an assistant manager. You can be a GM. Then you can go up to the regional you know, the, the CEO of McDonald's, I know when I was working at McDonald's, the CEO of McDonald's started out as a, as a cook at McDonald's. He started yeah. out as a grill boy. The person know? who runs, I can't remember where they're at in the corporation well, now, but the guy that, that was running it or running the major part of it was one of their first grill, grill cooks ever. Yeah. He was one of their first cooks. And he worked his way up to actually like running the company. The CEO of Walmart, we've mentioned, used to be a stock yeah. So you used to stock shelves. The the same thing the CEO of Publix used to bag groceries yeah. at Publix. Yeah. Imagine that. So the the question becomes is what are you doing in your 18 years where you haven't been able to increase your pay more than a dollar? Are you passionate? Are you that passionate about chicken that you can't work anywhere else besides KFC? And if that, if so, mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah. But if you are so passionate and you take so much pride in your job, and I'm telling you what, I you know, it, 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 it grinds my gears and it kind of hurts my soul coming from the fast food industry because I really, it's not so much that I cared that much about my job and in, in so far as that I had a lot of pride in my job and I wanted to be the best I could possibly be. You know, I used to open up McDonald's. This is why I'm so good at podcasting, by the way. <laughs> Let me give you a little story. I used to open up McDonald's when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. 
every single Sunday morning. I had to be there at 4 a.m. Now, what 16, 17, and 18-year-old kids going to give up their Saturday night so that they can make sure they're on their, to their shift on time at 4 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday? I worked every Sunday from 4 a.m. to 2 p.m., 10 hours, long shift. And I was there opening, and I always worked the drive-thru. People, we would open up at 5 o'clock. People would come through, and I would say, Good morning. Welcome to McDonald's. <laughs> did <laughs> you I say start, it like that? I sure did. <laughs> Can I start you off with a large hot coffee today? It's hot. And Don't everybody, spill it on yourself. And everybody was like, oh my God, you're so chipper. It's five <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Like what's going on? Like how passionate are you? And I'm not saying you have to be the most, you know, dedicated people person or anything like that. But, you know, I actually cared about the numbers that I ran. I ran, I didn't run the, the best numbers, but you know, Keep in mind, I was 17 and 18. All right. I ran the second best numbers in the store, by the way. I was beating managers that had been there for a long time, you know, and the only person I didn't beat was my GM. She was really good, really, yeah. really good. Um, and there were days I beat her, like drive through times and, and cook times and not serving like all physically beat her. No, but it no. was like beat her in the competition. Wise, game. Yeah. We always had this labor competition game because they wanted. We were a franchise or we weren't a franchise store. We were owned by a private company. And so they wanted us to keep our labor around 10%, by the way, of operation costs during the day. And so you would run the numbers or whatever. And there were several times I would beat her on my labor because I would, I was able to send people home and do all the work and, and keep my numbers low so that it looked good. And what, what did that do for me? It allowed me to keep moving up. And so I can speak to her uh, predicament, let's say, in the fact that, I don't know her life, and so I can't. I'm, I'm going to, let's say, speculate a little bit here because I don't know her life. But 18 years, and you haven't made more than a dollar raise in 18 years, you're doing something wrong. And mm -hmm. so, can you look at your life, whatever her name was? What was what, what was her name? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Can you look at your life, Mary? And honestly say, when you wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and be like, I'm giving my very best. Every single day I go into KFC, I'm giving my very best. I'm the best employee. They're going to promote me. Or do you do, do you just do the bare minimum to get by? So they'll keep, keep sending you paychecks and you won't get fired. You know, you have to That's honestly probably look more at, what she was doing. I don't know for sure, but if you I never don't worked yourself a raise out of that entire time, uh, you only went up by the standard raise. They were like 10 cents that they were giving yeah. you less than that, that they were giving you cost of living increases. You never got a single raise because you were doing a better job than anyone else there. It's, this is why I have such an is issue with Bernie and this entire ideology, guys. Th this is why I have such a big issue because when you see someone like this, who is, who is in this predicament, who's in this life situation, Compassion does not mean that you force people to pay them more money or that you give them more welfare or that you give them more SNAP benefits. That's not true compassion. That's fake compassion. That's all it is. Giving them other people's money, forcing people to pay them more. True compassion would be asking that person to take a look in the mirror and ask themselves why everyone else has been getting more or why a lot of other people have been able to get more. What's that reason? Why were they able to get more? Why did their pay go up while yours stayed the same? When you give people the welfare, the SNAP, the, the mandatory wages, you never have them ask that question. They never have to ask it. They never have to solve a single thing in their life at all. They never get better as a person. 
their children's lives don't get better. What their children's to- futures don't get better after they see this from their parents for that long. It's not compassion. It's and, the exact opposite. And what it says to them is it says your mediocrity is okay. Yeah. You're fine just the way you are. You don't need to put in any more effort, which is opposite of true. Life is a meritocracy in and of itself. It's up to you to decide how well you're going to make it in this life. How much meaning are you actually going to pursue? It's up to you to do that. Now, look, of course, there are bad things that happen to good people, but I would say that it probably accounts for 5% or less. Most the number one reason why you're at where you're at in life is because of the decisions that you've made. It's your fault. And even if it isn't your fault, you should take responsibility for it because when you do that transfers the power now into your control. If you are sitting there blaming everyone else for why you're not ahead. Oh, it's the rich people or, Oh, I don't have the skills or, or oh, every, the system is holding me back. If you blame everyone else, what you do is you give the power to control the situation and you leave it in their hands and now they've got control over you. Whereas if you take responsibility and you look yourself in the mirror and you say, am I giving my very best today? You know, there's sometimes I look and I say, I'm, I'm not giving my very best. This has happened in the last couple of months. There are times where I know that I've could have done better and you can't go back and change it. But what you can do is look to the future and be like, can I be a little bit better tomorrow than I was yesterday? You know, I went to the gym yesterday for the first time since September. I got sick in September. I could have gone back in October or November. And then I had ear surgery in January and I used all these excuses and I went back to the gym yesterday and, and guard on it. I feel better already in one day. You know, there's things that you can do and look in the mirror and be like, am I giving my very best? Am I doing everything for myself to set myself up for success? Now, there are some people that will do all the correct things. There's, you know, runners that will run marathons and then end up getting cancer. And that's sad, but that's rarely the case. Most of it is the decisions that you make. And so I'm sorry that you haven't made more than a dollar raise in 18 years working fast food. But I know that it's possible because I've done it. Now, maybe I'm <clears throat> white splaining or I'm a white male. And so maybe I don't understand because she was a black female. Maybe she's being holding back systematically. But I guarantee you, because I worked in this industry, that most of the people I worked with, they did the bare minimum to get a paycheck. Yeah. I'll never forget. <clears throat> I was a brand new manager and we had, sorry, I'm going off on these tangents, Nate. We had a what's called a full operation review where McDonald's corporate would come in and everything has to be perfect. I mean, flawless. And they assigned me and two other managers to close the store the night before that full operation review. And I was a brand new manager. I'd probably been a manager for a month and the other two managers have been managers longer than me. So they had seniority over me. Right. And I'll never forget going through at the end of the night and finding things that we still needed to clean up. For instance, there were a few chicken nuggets still left underneath the the carts and underneath the grills. And I looked under there and I was like, Hey, we got to clean these up. And, and I saw this thing. You heated them up and you served them. (laughs) No, we were closed. (laughs) Right. It only happens during normal, but I'm kidding. I never let that happen on my watch. So, but, but what I'm saying is, is that those other two managers were so mad at me for pointing those things out. They're like, Oh, it's just because you're new. It's just because you're new. You're so you're scrutinizing everything. It's like, no, it's because I actually care. I care about us having a good score on the full operation review, because if we do, then I get a bonus and you get a bonus, by the way, 
you know, the better score that you have. And so everyone was, most people are like those other two managers. They just wanted to do the minimum amount of duty to get their paycheck and walk out the door and go. So they can go fishing tomorrow or whatever. You have to take some pride in yourself. You have to have some self-reflection and you have to believe in yourself and do the right thing. And people will reward you for that. You know, I kept moving up in that company. They sent me off to do training and do all kinds of cool things. I got to work the shifts that I wanted to work. I got to make really good money as a 16, 17, 18 year old. It was crazy. And, it, and it's as easy as that. And I don't know what else to say. That's it. That's it. What I want you to tell me about is the Pentagon's $35 trillion black hole. So we say all of this to say <laughs> the reason why we believe in what we believe in is because you do not want the government to manage any of this. Now, imagine if the government, if, if they managed healthcare like they managed the Pentagon. So let's read some of this. This is coming from the Rolling Stone, a great, great article by Matt Tabibi, I think is his name on something like that. Um, so this is called the Pentagon's bottomless money pit. So we've heard reports. Uh, a professor did a report not that long ago, a couple of years ago, and there's this $21 trillion figure. There's a $35 trillion figure, all of this, but let's go through this Rolling Stone article just to see how corrupt the department of defense actually is. And so there's a, a storyline opening. I'm going to skip. And so I'm going to skip down here to um, the air force, which has $156 billion annual budget still doesn't always use serial numbers. Mm. It has no idea how much of almost anything it has at any given time. Nuclear weapons are the exception, and it started electronically tagging those only after two extraordinary mistakes in 2006 and 2007. Good Lord. They've only been tagging nukes, nukes since 2006 and 2007. In the first mistake, the Air Force accidentally, accidentally loaded six nuclear weapons on a B-52 and flew them across the country unbeknownst to the crew oh hey sorry captain whoops sorry captain john (laughs) you had six nuclear warheads on your plane there in the other the services sent uh nuclear nose cones by mistake to taiwan which had asked for helicopter batteries (laughs) hey we need some helicopter batteries oh here's some nuke cones some nukes yeah so um this guy, Andy, who was an auditor for the for the Air Force, said, what kind of organization doesn't keep track of 20 billion dollars in inventory? Well, the United States government. Why would they? Yeah, they don't have to. At the tail end of last year in 2019, the DOD finally completed an audit. This is after years of complaints from not only senators, but all kinds of people, all these reports coming out. At a cost of $400 million, by the way, to John and Susie, taxpayer, some 1,200 auditors charged into the jungle of military finance, but returned in defeat. They were unable to pass the Pentagon or flunk it. They could only offer no opinion, explaining the military's empire of hundreds of acronymic accounting silos was too illogical to penetrate. They couldn't even figure it out. 1200 auditors they gave up they gave up after spending 400 million dollars they're like ah we don't even know which way is up (laughs) just a few years ago in fact it admitted to losing track of 478 structures in addition to they lost 39 blackhawk helicopters they just lost them by the way blackhawk Blackhawk lost cost 21 million dollars a piece and they just lost 39 of them somehow 
Now, this doesn't mean that 478 buildings disappeared, but they did vanish from the government's ledgers at some point. Oh, we just weren't going to keep track of them anymore. The Pentagon bureaucracy is designed to spend money quickly and deploy troops and material to the field quickly, but it has no reliable method of recording transactions. It designs stealth drones and silent running submarines, but still hasn't progressed to barcodes when it comes to tracking inventory. Some of its accounting programs are using the ancient computing language COBOL, which was cutting edge in 1959. IBM came after that. With the AS400 platform in the 80s. Bill Gates might not have even been alive by that time. He was like 10, he was like 10 or 15 years old. This is before punch cards were invented, by the way. <laughs> oh, man. This is oh. a mess. We should have them run everything. Yeah. Yeah. If and when the defense review was ever completed, we're likely to find a pile of Enrons. You guys remember Enron and how much they were blasted? And they all went to jail, by the way. Yeah. Some actual the, people went the, to jail. The executives in Enron went to jail. But... If, if we are able to actually finish this audit sometime, we are likely to find a pile of Enrons, a pile of them, with the military's losses and liabilities hidden from Enron-like special purpose vehicles, assets systematically overhauled, monies Congress approved for X felonlessly diverted to program Y because they can't do that. If you appropriate money for one thing, you can't divert it to another program. Otherwise, that's a felony. By the way, contractors paid twice. I wish I was a government contractor. That'd be nice. Parts bought twice, repairs done unnecessarily and at a great expense and so on. This is called money laundering, by the way. This is how you do it. You pay for parts twice. You you pay contractors twice. I saw this in the house off the top. I saw this in the house flipping industry in Nashville. Um, This was a big thing when you're doing Section eight housing. Some of those houses before anyone ever moves into them will get seven, eight, 10, 12 roofs, 20 roofs. Doesn't matter. All that matters is that you go to the person who's paying out the money and you say, hey, uh, this roof has a mistake. We need to redo it. Hey, this roof has a mistake. We need to redo it. And you keep doing that. 10, 15, 20 times, and the person who's allocating the money can get themselves a nice little cut on the back end somehow, something like that, and you end up with a Section 8 house that ends up costing 10 times more than what a normal house built in the private market would, because contractors are not only getting paid twice, they're getting paid 10, 15, 20 times to do the same work. And they put on one roof, by the way. And they put on, There was only ever one roof, yeah. just so you know. They actually didn't send people to keep no, doing the roof. no. They filed paperwork for more roofs. That's what they did. Yeah. More from this article. Enron at its core was an accounting maze that systematically hid losses and overstated gains in order to keep investor money flowing in. This was wrong, cried everybody. Remember? Yep. If you're too young to remember Enron, go look it up. Which it was wrong. The Pentagon is an exponentially larger financial bureaucracy whose mark is the taxpayer. Of course, less overtly a criminal scheme, which I don't think it is. I don't think it is less overtly a criminal scheme. I think they're doing it right in front of our face because they can. The military still churns out Enron size losses regularly. And this is only possible because it's accounting is a long tolerated fraud. So they've been doing this for years and it's just the, the they're incentivized to produce criminal activity because no one's stopping them. Yeah. Oh, in fact, we just keep increasing their budget. Imagine that because they need more money, Charlie. They're 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 we need more money for defense that you just yeah. don't care about the troops and you don't care about safety when you talk about this stuff. Think about this. The infamous F-35 joint strike joint strike fighter program is now projected to cost the taxpayers one point five trillion dollars. 
which is roughly what we spent on the entire Iraq war. Just the F-35 on one fighter plane. program. And by the Just way, one program. the pilots hate those planes. I've talked to a bunch of them, trust me, and they all want to be back in the F-15s. They, they, they really do. Because the F-15s? The, um, F- 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 yeah, they, they love the F-15s. That's, that's what they love. The 22s are worthless. The 35s are glitchy and terrible. They want to be back in that's the F-15s. That's what you want to fly, a glitchy yeah. plane. The, and they, they just, <laughs> we don't need fighter planes. Like, we're not having dogfights in the air yeah. anymore. That, that's not happening. The F-15s can carry a lot of bombs. And that's what they want to be flying. So, you know, whether or not you agree with that sentiment, just so you know, even the people in the military make fun of the people who get moved off of the F-15s because those are the planes that actually matter still. So just just take that for what it is. Meanwhile, the, the Defense Department a few years ago found about one hundred and twenty five billion dollars in administrative waste, a wart that by itself was just under twice the size of that seventy four billion dollar Enron bankruptcy. Jesus Christ, administrative waste, 125 billion, just gone. Waste. Inspectors found at least 6 billion to 8 billion in waste in the Iraq campaign and said 15 billion of waste found in the Afghan theater was probably only a portion of the total loss. In a supreme irony, the auditor's search for boondoggles has itself become a boondoggle. In the early 90s and 2000s, by the way, this is in the 90s and 2000s bill clinton was president and so and then george bush was president the defense department spent billions hiring private forms in preparation for 2019's audit they knew it was coming in 20 years they they spent billions hiring these private firms to come in and, and help cook the books basically in many cases those new outside accountants simply repeated recommendations that had already been raised and ignored by past government auditors like the defense inspector general jesus did you just have the government audit itself and this is what happens yep this keeps going by the way this is just gross after last year's debacle the services are now spending even more on outside advice to prepare for the next expected flop the Air Force alone just awarded Deloitte up to $800 million to help the service with future audit preparation. The Navy countered that with a $980 million audit readiness contract, audit readiness contract <laughs> spread across four companies, Deloitte, Booz Allen, Hamilton, Accenture, and KPMG. We're in the wrong business, my I know, man. I know. We need to be need auditing to be, the government. We need to be in these audit positions. How do we get these <laughs> contracts? Jesus. For instance, part of what inspired original investigations into defense finances were infamous stories in the 1980s, by the way, and the early 90s about the military charging $640 for toilet seats. Now, you know that toilet seat costs probably five bucks. So who's pocketing the $635? Oh, they're buddies. Yeah. I'm going to get my buddy over here and then he, I'm going to give him you know, $200 and he's going to kick me back in the other $435. Yep. And so I can make some money on these toilet seats. $436 for hammers. What was that hammer made out of? That's where all those hammer deaths are coming from, I bet. Jesus. Those are expensive hammers. The Iowan, which is a newspaper in Iowa, by the way, <laughs> last year asked why we are spending more than $10,000 a piece for 3D printed airborne toilet seat covers. They're just covers. Or $56,000 on 25 reheatable drinking cups, which, which cost $1,280 each. Apparently, an upgrade to an earlier iteration of $693 coffee cups whose handles broke too easily. Oh, no. Good Lord. 
The DOD has since claimed to have fixed these problems. Did you go into your Bill Clinton voice right there? Oh, no. (laughs) The DOD has since claimed to have fixed these problems. Probably not because we can't tell. Yeah, they fixed it. The auditors can't even get in. Oh, man. So let's let's talk about how they've uh, committed felonies, by the way. Uh, Grassley, who was a senator in the late 90s, found out that the military was using a computer grant computer program called MACAS or M-O-C-A-S, which stands for uh, mechanic. Uh, say that word for me. Mechanization. Mechanization of contract administrative administration services to help speed this coming coming ling. Whenever the Pentagon had bills to pay, instead of just drawing the money from the right account like they're supposed to. This computer program would sometimes try to spend old money first from whatever funds were about to expire because they didn't want to lose their funding. Yeah, they didn't want to lose the budget. Just so you know, it's illegal for any government agency to spend money appropriated for one purpose on a different program. But the military, either hilariously or horribly, depending on your perspective, created a program that algorithmically produced such violations of the law. They weren't minor violations, by the way. Grassley has fought for years against such automatic payments, saying bureaucrats use them to avoid violations of the Anti-Deficiency Act, which is a felony. Last year's audit found the Anti-Deficiency Act was one of the five laws the agency violated. One of the five laws they violated. (laughs) Now, who's going to prison from the DOD? I haven't seen anybody yet. No one's up in front of Congress right now talking about it. They're all talking about COVID-19. Yeah. By the way, this uh, this program still exists, but it's unclear how or if it's been updated. In any case, defense still lacks records showing that it's paying for the right programs from the right accounts. Out of terror that it might have to return the money as a result, the DOD orders its accountants to make numbers fit. Not just make the numbers fit. Yeah, make them fit. That's just what we do. Speaking of making them fit, that brings us to the next article that we have but on the by DOD. By the way, this, they... they, they the, the, the Pentagon, the DOD, runs the VA. Yeah. And so if you want government-run health care, this is what you're getting, this by the way. This is a large government-ran system whose budget yearly is under a trillion dollars, by the way. And this is what happens inside of this system. This is how much waste, fraud, and abuse is going on. And we don't even know how much it is. This is just some of the things we know about, kind of. The auditors gave up. They said it was too complicated. The 1,200 auditors that they hired said it was too complicated for them to deal with. That's what you're dealing with inside of this amazing government program. Now, if you let let me put this in perspective, those of you who operate businesses, you know this. If you make one mistake, the government will come after you. If you don't pay your taxes on time, if you don't have your receipts for your um, your expenses that you're trying to, to say, if you if you don't do anything correctly, they will come audit your ass and they will destroy your life. They will literally take your home from you. They will garnish your wages. They will destroy you if you make a mistake. But they will make trillions of dollars worth of mistakes with no repercussions. Yep. People are stealing from the taxpayers. It's sickening. We're 20 almost 23 trillion dollars in debt now that we know of. That we know of. Yeah. And you don't think we could we could operate the Department of Defense on half the budget we give them? Oh, yeah. At least half. You could operate on half and still have the same things that you have right now. Exact same things. Actually, you probably even have better. More, more than likely, even have better defense at that point. All right, the Pentagon's $35 trillion accounting black hole. I don't know where this one came from, Charlie. You sent this article, but I did not save the link. So... 
Well, it shouldn't come as a surprise for an organization that has famously failed to ever pass an audit. The Pentagon was nevertheless able to shock some observers this week with a new batch of financial numbers. According to Bloomberg's Anthony Carpaccio, the Department of Defense made $35 trillion in accounting adjustments in 2019 easily surpassing the $30.7 trillion in adjustments they made in 2018. Carpaccio notes that Jesus. the number dwarfs the $738 billion of defense-related funding in the latest U.S. budget. A spending plan that includes the most expensive weapons system ever in the world, including the F-35 jet, as well as, a new, air, as new aircraft carriers, destroyers, and submarines. Inside of that $738 billion budget, by the way, it also larger than the it's also larger than the entire U.S. economy and underscores the Defense Department's continuing difficulty in balancing its books. So what are these adjustments? Todd Harrison, the Center for Strategic and International Studies, says that that they represent a lot of double, triple and quadruple counting of the same money as it got moved between accounts within the Pentagon. A lot may be an understatement. According to government data, there were 562,000 adjustments made in the Pentagon's books in 2018. That's in one year. In one year. Just in 2018. In one year. Yeah. Adjustments. Yeah. Yeah. We're just they call them plugs, by the way. We're just going to plug these things. I, I saw an example of that. It's like if the Air Force buys a helicopter from the Army, they both will list that as an expense. Yeah. Even though it comes from the same budget, by the yeah. way. They do. They have separate budgets, but it comes from the same overall Department of Defense budget. Yeah. And they'll both list it as an expense, which is just crazy. You would never do that in the real world. You would like go to company, prison if you did yes, that in the real company, world. Yeah. The, it, like Enron, like the executives from Enron. This is exactly what they were doing. Yeah. And it was fraud. When it was a private market doing it, but this is the, because it's under the government. This is why God bless America. How in the world could you want to give government any more power? I want to look at all the bony Bernie bros in the face and, and just shake them and be like, I don't understand you because I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. You're why hot. do you want to give these people more power to do what? Take more from you. Yeah. Is this a great example for why you should give them power over every single thing? everything uh, their budget for everything we should have them run every organization we have we should have them run healthcare. we should have them run education we should have them run every single thing and this is what happens inside of an agency inside of a de department where they have complete control uh where their budget just keeps going up all the time and they can do whatever they want this is what actually happens uh, in fact, the government tells me that i'm not allowed to gamble my own money on online poker yeah they they tell me that's illegal for me to do yeah. I could set my money on fire right here on this table. No that problem. might be illegal. Also destroying the a, a currency. You know, if you were to take a video of that post okay. online, I think Maybe. that's also illegal. Well, yeah, I, I could do it. In Unless secret, you're Mike Bloomberg. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But if I were to go gamble the, my own money and yeah. play poker online, which I'm good at, by the way, so <laughs> I wouldn't actually gamble because um, I'm pretty good at poker. So it's not gambling but when you do it. No. And, and I could go to jail for that, by the way, or the people at Enron, the private market, they go to jail, but the Pentagon, in one year alone, they can make 562,568 adjustments. Ah, no problem. No, don't ask, don't tell. That's our policy here. <laughs> I don't think that's what that policy don't, meant. Don't ask, <laughs> don't tell. At it. Yeah. Don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> okay, it says why it matters. More broadly, the number highlights the persistent lack of internal financial controls at the Pentagon, which makes it extremely difficult to account properly for spending <laughs> in the largest government budget. You don't think that's done on purpose, by the way? You don't think they make it difficult on purpose? I just, I don't know if it's 
a bunch of people in a room trying to make it as difficult as possible. I just think that this is what naturally happens when you go, when human beings go unchecked with an unlimited amount of money. There's no reason. I think this there's is what no, happens. There's no reason for them. They have no incentive to be accountable. Yeah. They'll just get more. Uh, let's see. I was saying, although it gets scant public attention compared with airstrikes, troop deployments, sexual assault statistics, or major weapons programs, the reliability of the Pentagon's financial statement is an indication of how effectively the military manages its resources, considering that it receives over half of the discretionary domestic spending budget. Uh, let's see. Representative Jack- Jackie Spear, who asked the Government Accountability Office to look into the issue. Well, the Government Accountability Office is definitely going to be accountable towards oh, things yeah. that the government does. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it's, it's in the title. Like, that. that's what they're going to do. Right. Uh, ask them to look into the issue. They said, uh, the combined errors, shorthand, and sloppy record keeping by the DOD accountants do, do add up to a number nearly 1.5 times the size of the entire U.S. economy and charge that the Pentagon employs accounting adjustments like a contractor paints over mold. <laughs> Their priori- we'll just sweep this one under yeah, the rug. No problem. Put some paint on it. That'll buff out. No problem. Their priority is making the situation look manageable, but not solving the actual underlying problem. Now, imagine in the if, if the the government taking over U.S. healthcare, and they'll just what they'll do is they'll take their cancer statistics and they'll just fudge them a little yeah, bit. Just change it up a little like, bit. Like, oh, we we didn't have as many people die from cancer this year. Look how wonderful the U.S. government is. Look how wonderful our Medicare for all is. You know, cancer rates are down. Never mind that they're just hiding them. They're just painting over the mold. They're sweeping them under the rug. They get away with it now. Why wouldn't they get away with it in other places? Look at the VA. My God, the the, the veterans. I haven't met a veteran yet. I have never met one who praises veteran care. Who's like, I can't wait to go see my VA doctor. He's the best there is. Yeah. I get all my services on time. I never have to wait in line. The people are nice. They're just as nice as can be. And, you know, the, yeah, the doctor left a wrench in my abdomen, but he said he was sorry. He said and, he was sorry. And I forgave he, him for he it. He did it for his country. Yeah. You know, and I, I went septic and I had to spend, you know, 10 weeks in the ICU. But thank God I was able to be in the ICU. I was asking my brother I about his insurance. I good now, but. You know, I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. I was asking my brother about his insurance. He was like, ah, oh, no, I got to try and find some kind of an insurance now. And I was like, well, what? I mean, you're in the Marines. Like, aren't, can't you just have VA healthcare? And he was like, uh, yeah, I'm going to find some private insurance. I mean, Weird. It, it's just, it, it's it's that plain. It's, it's plain as day, whether or not they do a good job managing their healthcare. And that that's the whole point here, guys. This is just a DOD budget. And I know you Bernie bros are going to be like, oh, we're going to take, we're going to reduce the Pentagon's budget. We're going to do all these things. Guys, this is not just the, you know, this might be, but it's not just the military industrial complex. We're going to create the super government accountability office to hold the government accountability office accountable which is going to hold the Pentagon accountable. Exactly. That's what they'll do. Yeah. They'll cut and the if, Pentagon's budget, but what they don't realize is that the military-industrial complex, whatever it is you want to blame on this Pentagon problem, you're going to have the healthcare-industrial complex, the prescription drug-industrial <laughs> complex, all these things when you set aside these massive government programs that are going to have trillions of dollars to spend. This is exactly what's going to happen. And it's not just because these specific people are terrible people and they're trying to steal from you. It's because this is just the natural state of human beings who have no incentive to do otherwise. And this is what happens. They have no, they have, there's no legal recourse against them. There's not going to be any penalties for their fraud. 
and you're going to have the same exact thing. And I'm sure it already is the same exact thing inside of the Medicare system, the Medicaid systems, any type of the any type of the systems that the government's already running. It, this is probably already the case right here. I doubt that whoever wrote this, probably, you know, they might lean liberal. Uh, I doubt they're going to write the same article about the Medicare system or about how terribly the government runs the healthcare systems that they're running right now. Uh, they're not going to write that article. Okay. But the exact same thing would apply. We spend this much money on IV bags when the private market spends this much, or we spend this much money on shuffling paper paperwork when the private market spends this much. There's all kinds of things that you will find inside of Medicare, inside of housing, inside of education, inside of all these things that can point to the plain, simple fact that the government does not need to be managing all of your money for you. They don't need to be managing all of these programs because human beings left unchecked, even if you got a, a, a government accountability office, who's going to hold those people accountable? The government accountability office of government accountability is not going to do a good job holding the government office of accountability accountable. That's just not going to happen because then someone else has got to check them and make sure that they're being held accountable. And then all your Bernie bros, when you're uh, no longer living under the amazing utopian Bernie Sanders presidency and someone else comes into office, well, then what's going to happen to all those budgets then when you don't have your perfect virtuous angel running the whole system for you? What happens when they blow the Pentagon budget back up to what it used to be and the Medicare budget's doing the same thing the Pentagon budget used to do? You can't leave these people to doing this. They have no incentives to do a good job. People in the private market have a good incentive because they only operate on money that you freely give them. And they have to try and make money because they can't print their own money. And they can't vote. Amazon can't hold a company shareholder meeting to force you to pay them more money. They can't do that, but the government can do that. And so that's what you're dealing with all the time. It's a complete lack of incentives to do a better job inside of every single system that they run. This is an amazing example. Good job finding this, Charlie. We're at an hour and 21 minutes on the day, so I reckon we can probably round this up just a little bit. We got to round her out, man. We've only got about 15 more stories that we can go through, but those can get pushed over to tomorrow's episode. So you want to make sure that you're subscribing to the Good Morning Liberty podcast. Early birds that are getting that penny earned. Guys, we're doing this trading class. We got the early bird special that we started. People signed Today's up. Today's the last day. Today's the last day. If you got in on that, most of those people have signed up, and we really appreciate <laughs> them for joining the class. The class is going great. I'm watching two trades right now, and in full disclosure, the trades that I'm watching right now are, are going against me, but that's going to happen. You'll have a red day sometimes. We've had five green days in a row. We can have a red day. I'm still holding these trades. I'm holding them to the point where I said I'm going to get out. And I'm going to post a video. If this is a loss today, you'll get a video on exactly what happened. And we'll go over whether or not it stayed inside of the strategies. But inside of this class, we're going over how to read a candlestick chart, how to do all this stuff. None of these things that you learn mean that you're going to be perfect and you know exactly what's going to happen in the stock market. If that were the case, then you would have someone out there that was worth about $20 trillion right now. It's not the case. But what you can do is decide what exactly you're going to do if this happens. What are you going to well, do? And a lot of you may be asking the question like, oh, with the stock market crashing right now, is a recession coming? Like what's happening? You should educate yourself. And we're offering that to you to educate yourself on the stock market, which applies to your everyday life. If you don't know what's going on in the in the financial markets, you need to know. 
and you will not find a cheaper class out there. For no. the early birds, it's ridiculously cheap. For yeah. everyone else, it goes back up by 20% tomorrow. Yeah. So all you early birds out there, there's, I think, about 10 of you left that uh, sent us an email that did not sign up. So if you're hearing this, make sure you go sign up because tomorrow... When the clock strikes midnight, the pumpkin, the pumpkins, you know the thing, yeah. comes home to exactly. roost. Exactly, the, the pumpkin comes, comes home to comes roost. Home to so all you, men and women created by go. You know the you know the thing. So you so yeah. you know the thing. You yeah. better get in there or get square. <laughs> what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, sign up for those for the rest of you. We will be announcing where you can go to sign up for this tomorrow. Those that did not get in uh, while we ran that early bird special. Uh, the rest of you can get in and this it's still going to be really cheap for you to learn the basics. Oh, it's uh, still crazy cheaper yes. than any of the other classes you're going to find. Almost a, almost a hundred dollars cheaper. Yeah, we, we were watching this the, trader from yet. the cheapest one I found. Guys, one thing you have to watch for if you're going out there looking at trading classes or you're looking at stuff on YouTube. Um, it is entirely possible to make a video of you making crazy money all the time and it be completely fake. And one thing you have to watch for is one, it, are all of this person's videos of them making money? Do they ever post a video where they lost money? Or are they only posting videos where they made money? We looked at a guy who had three months worth of videos, but only he had only posted nine trade recaps where he made money and no other trade recaps the whole time. But all of his trade recaps, man, they sure did look good when he was making money those mm -hmm. days. What happened all the other days? Why didn't he post any videos those days? That's a good thing about this class. We'll be posting the trade recap every single day. So you're going to know for sure that we're really trading these things. I can literally set up this software and make it look like I was trading. If you know what you're looking at, you would see it like we did on this guy's video. We'll teach yesterday. you that in the class, by the and way. You, so you, you know can what to see look that for. too. What to look for. It's the same stuff we use when we're scrutinizing statistics and statements and all this kind of stuff. Um, you can look at those things and tell whether or not the person you're learning from is actually trading. But uh, you could just tell from this guy that he. He was not actually making, he wouldn't have sat there, made $2,000 in an hour and then been like, oh, sorry, I got to go to work. I got to leave. Yeah. Like, okay, if, you, if you're the kind of trader that makes $2,000 every single day, um, why haven't you quit your job? Like if you're profitable and you're making a couple grand as easy as it looks right now, why are you still working? Why are you still going to the work at the gas station today? to the nine to five? Like, why, why are you doing that? So you've got to be mindful watching that in this class, which, uh, you know, real cheap, like Charlie said, we'll be posting a trade recap, a recap every single day, even if it's a loss. We'll be posting our P&L in total for the entire class. We get a 2K challenge. So we started an account, put $2,000 in it for this class, and we're going to show everyone that you can grow $2,000 into whatever amount of money you decide you're going to grow it to. We're just going to keep making it. Just going to keep making the money off that two grand and show you that you don't have to start with a million dollars and make money off of trading. You can save up some money. You could even start with 600 bucks if you want to and make money trading. Or you can start lower if you want to. It's going to take you a while to get to the point where you're making money. But you can start whatever you want and we're going to show you how to consistently trade with the strategy and make profit and make money off of that in that class. Send me an email, nate at goodmorningliberty.us if you're interested so you can get on the email list. I'll send you an email blast tomorrow so you know that the class is officially open for everybody. Right now, just them 
early birds. You know what they say, a penny saved is an early bird. And that's what they've been saying uh, since that old South Vietnamese proverb first came into existence back in 1931. That's what they've been saying. You know, penny early bird is a worm that's in a can. And that's what they do. <laughs> you, may, you know you know the thing. All right. So join the class if you're interested. Send me an email, nate at goodmorningliberty.us. So you get an email about that. Early birds, get in. You only got a little bit more time so you can save that 20% discount. Once again, Patreon, support the show, guys. Uh, we appreciate all of our listeners and all of y'all's support. We appreciate you guys sharing the show and doing all of that. But get in on all of the extras that we're doing here. That's patreon.com slash Liberty. patreon.com slash Liberty. It's a lot of fun. We do the pre and post show. Nate and I, are, we're about to sign off here for the, for the regulars. But all the people in the Patreon get to have the post show. There's extra content. You get merchandise discounts. Bernie Lies mugs. It's a genius mug. You're welcome. Uh, BernieLies.com. And, and there's all kinds of really cool perks. Uh, even at the top tier, if you're if you're also a podcaster or somebody who runs a website or if you're somebody that has a business or anything like that, our top tier is like really cheap podcast advertising. So there's all kinds of things that uh, all kinds of benefits offered in Patreon for you guys to help support the show, because while it is free for you, it is not free to produce. Look how glorious. Well, those in Patreon can look how glorious everything looks. <laughs> the rest of you can't because you're not in there yet. But sign up five bucks a month, five bucks a month gets you that pre and post show and the live show. You guys can comment back and forth with us. We answer questions. Uh, one of our, our one of our top guys, Maurice Jones, uh, he's always commenting with us and asking us questions and we are we are happy to answer them. The other patrons, we, I don't know if they found the link where you go to comment live or anything like that, but Maurice found it. He's always on top of it. Yeah. So. And uh, if you guys want to be engaged in that conversation, you got you to gotta give us at least five bucks a month. Like how much do you actually believe in liberty? Put your money where your mouth is or your mouth where your money is, whatever that means. That's gross. You know what to do. Yeah. You know what you know what it is. Um, and then, uh, like you guys have been doing, because our numbers are increasingly going up every single week, the audience size, uh, it's been really cool to see. So keep sharing the show and leave us a rating and review. We just got a new one in the other day. It was really nice, really nice of him. Leave us that rating review, five stars if you think it's worth it on iTunes, and click that subscribe button or follow on Spotify. There's all kinds of ways to do it. And if you guys do all of that, we'll be back again tomorrow to do this all over again. Do not leave the fate of your life in the government's hands. <laughs> Believe in liberty, my friends. Hope you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Hi.